I'm in San Cristobal de las Casas and I'm talking to Tony Bomboni who is the founder of Cultura Distinta, a Mexican entrepreneur. I met him yesterday, he was my tour guide and I really was intrigued by his life story so I decided to invite him for this uh, podcast. We'll be talking about entrepreneurship, travel, hitchhiking, psychedelics, spirituality, Mexican history. Welcome, Tony. How are you today? I'm doing great. We just had some coffee, so even with more energy. That's good. I'm so happy to be at your, your house. So, tell me a bit about yourself. Well, uh, I'm from Guadalajara, Jalisco. This is where I grew up. I got to live a little bit in the U.S. when I was younger. That's where I learned English. And I had the opportunity to live all around Mexico. So, I'm really happy to say that uh, now I'm living in San Cristobal de las Casas, which is a beautiful, magical town in San Cristobal, in Chiapas. And uh, I had the opportunity to live in Mexico City, Guadalajara, Tijuana, um, just different states, and to travel all, all around my own country. So, yeah, this is, uh, I guess, uh, something that's made me a little bit on like entrepreneur and traveling, just having different experiences in different areas. So you love to travel, you love entrepreneurship, but what does you have you have a travel company so what does travel mean to you what does it mean to your soul for my soul it's i guess it's learning it's experiencing it's tasting it's seeing it's smelling right it's uh, going to new places and just uh, trying to like mark that moment because it's so beautiful you know you run into these these moments that are magical so for me, that's one bigger side of travel, right? Traveling, right? And meeting people. So this is connecting. And you told me you've been to Ecuador with 120 bucks in your pocket. Like, can you share a bit more about that? Yes, for sure. So I had, uh, I wanted to start uh, traveling, right? Uh, I wanted to start uh, uh, backpacking. And uh, I had just uh, finished working in the Caribbean. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna buy the cheapest flight, the furthest away from Mexico I can. And I went on Skyscanner, you know, this uh, platform to get like cheap flights. And uh, I put the anywhere option, you know. This is, it sounds like a great commercial for them, I know, but it really, I really did that. And on that anywhere option, it just gives you the breakdown of prices. And uh, I saw a flight for $300 to Quito, Ecuador. And I didn't know what the fuck that place was. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And now I'm so happy that I decided to go there. You bought a single ticket? Yes, just a one-way ticket. And how long have you stayed there at the end? I stayed there for almost three months, like two months and a half. And mostly, mostly I stayed most of my time in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, and how was the experience to not buy a return ticket? Like what, 
what did it bring you? Well, it was uh, of course scary, <laughs> on a bigger part, on a huge part, because I feel like this is something we all feel when we're going out traveling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we feel that excitement, but scare at the same time. Yes. I feel like most of us, we feel this. And my mentality was, I was already going with no flight back, and I was going with $120 in my pocket, right? And just, I needed to like start working there, or find my way to move around, or like just make my life, right? And I did it like on purpose on this way. So it was an initial scary uh, sensation, but uh, later it was really gratifying because once you, I guess once we travel out, we break out of our comfort zone, we can see how much more the world has to offer us, right? Mm -hmm. And what else is out there? Yeah, no, I agree. So I left Amsterdam last year in March. Mm -hmm. Tanzania was my first destination. I've been traveling now for 15 months. But it's the first time in my life that I really don't have this return ticket and it gives a different feeling. Mm -hmm. It's more about trusting life and, and, and surrendering. And another thing we have in common, because yesterday we talked a lot, is that we both love hitchhiking. Yes. I told you I hitchhiked from Amsterdam to Barcelona and I hitchhiked across West Africa. But can you tell a bit more about why you love hitchhiking? Um, yeah, I just guess seeing the roads, meeting people, really just, I've liked, I lo I've loved to see the extensity and the wideness of my own country and other countries, to see the views on them, you know, mm -hmm. to see the mountains, to see, like, firsthand, to see it, like, not only on a plane where you're just, like, going above and that's a nice view on top, but really just uh, traveling it by itself, right? So I've done so many kilometers, but it's always been like what calls me more. How many kilometers have you done? Uh, I've done up uh, till to now. I keep uh, normally the count. It's 4,947 kilometers. Wow. Almost 5,000 kilometers. And what place have you hitchhiked? I did uh, Colombia from Cali to Cartagena. Wasn't but, it dangerous? Uh, a little bit. But uh, we got really, really, really lucky because at the beginning, uh, they almost take us to jail. Okay. Because uh, I was traveling with a German girl called, called Laura and a French guy called Frank, a very great friend of mine, both of them. And uh, Frank had a big bag of weed. Okay. So he had a big bag of weed. And so this, uh, I don't, I don't want to make the, the podcast about Frank, but I want to tell you a little bit about him. He's an amazing guy. Okay. So you need, to, you need to hear this. He traveled to South America because he wanted to find seeds of different psychedelic plants and uh, uh, coke leaf or marijuana, for example, mm -hmm. uh, to plant back in his country, right? Mm -hmm. Where is uh, he from? Um, from France. From France right? okay. yeah. Just for the record, he never did this, so don't worry, you can try looking him up, but I don't think you'll find anything. <laughs> but uh, he, he was able to get to one plantation where, where he was able to get some uh, uh, marijuana-like seeds mm -hmm. and uh, also some, uh, well, big bag of marijuana, right? Yeah. And uh, at this moment, we were barely starting our hitchhike. We were leaving Cali, and we were going on our way to, to near Cartagena, right? Mm -hmm. And he and we start. Uh, we take one bus, and this bus uh, at one moment goes through a checkpoint, mm -hmm. and this is really quick, where the bus just stops on the checkpoint. The military police get on the bus. They say, "Okay, everybody, as you are, don't move." Men, get outside, leave your things how they are. Women, stay seated, leave your bags, mm -hmm. right? Everybody. And we were all like, oh, 
shit, you know? And I was just thinking on the bag of weed that, that uh, um, Frank had in his, in his backpack, right? Yes. And I asked him, say, Frank, so tell me, please tell me you hit the, the weed in your backpack, right? I was like talking to him when we got out of the car, right? We were waiting for the cops to talk to us. And he's like, no, brother, it's right on top. They will find it, right? And I was like, what the fuck? Man, don't say this. And did they find it? Yes. And what happened then? So, uh, at one moment, they say like, hey guys, are these your bags? Yeah, come back up. And then they're, they're speaking to us, and they're like, they're looking at the weed. There's the two military guys just like holding the weed, right? Bag, I don't know, like a good ounce at least. And uh, at one moment, they're talking, and I was just like, we're fucked. We're going to go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because there was, at that moment, I'm pretty sure there was like a personal consumption uh, that... Uh, you could carry on yourself okay. for marijuana and cocaine mm -hmm. in Colombia. I'm pretty sure about this, mm. but uh, it was for sure more than twenty. It was for sure more than an ounce. And I heard the military guy say like, "Oh, it's it's more than twenty eight grams for sure." Mm. And uh, then what they did is they just put it in their pockets and then they left. Ah, so nothing happened to you. You no? didn't go to jail. Oh. No, 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 no. We got lucky. Did you feel relieved? Yes, a lot. They got off. I was like, should we follow them? Should we do anything? No. We sat down, the boss started going, and a Colombian lady told us, like, you guys have a huge angel on your back. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, sometimes you need to be lucky in life, right? Yeah, that's why I got lucky for Colombia. Ah, so you have a tattoo that's called lucky. Why did you use that tattoo? So this one, just for the experience in Colombia, I don't know, I got tattooed a couple different things in different spots, just they all have their own like story but lucky was for the for that for, for that almost, experience for yeah. almost getting taken to jail and for hitchhiking colombia in two days because yeah. this is how it started but i'm not gonna give you the whole long story sorry but uh we really did one hitchhike that was i don't know a couple kilometers and the second one took us 13 hours mm -hmm. one guy in the back of his trailer where we were on the back bed you know these things where they put the containers on top yeah. There were some wrappings on one side and a container on one, on one side and we were in the middle. Mm. And we were just, we wrapped our backpacks to the ropes and uh, we were going 13 hours there. Mm. And at the beginning it was sunny, nice, calm. And at night it started raining and there was like a storm. And we were going through the mountains. So imagine you're looking over the side and if you fall, you're dead, you know? There's no wall. No. On these, there's not, we're, we're not inside a container, we're outside, so if we just slip, we're dead. But this was on the back part. This was the first ride, right? We stopped one night in one town called La Pintada, Medellin. Uh, no, La Pintada, uh, near Medellin. And we uh, spend the night there, the next day we take another hitchhike, we go a couple of hours into Medellin, we have lunch there. And uh, I was thinking about staying in Medellin, and then I decided to keep on going with my friends. And when we go hitchhiking, we're hitchhiking at one spot for 10 minutes, then they tell us, hey, don't uh, hitchhike here, they'll pick you up better over there. Mm. And we were just moving. And right at that moment, the same trailer driver that took us 13 hours the day before passed through. And he stopped. And I ran to his mother and I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? I'm like, we're, we're good. Yeah. Like, we're, we're still going to Cartagena. Where are you heading to? He didn't know before, right? He's like, I'm going to Cartagena. <laughs> so one same trailer driver pretty much took us all of Colombia from south to north. He took us 13 hours and then on managing he took us 15 hours more. Wow. All the way to my friends to Cartagena and me to a town before. And they didn't need anything in exchange. 
Yeah, we maybe bought him some cocaine okay. and some dinner yeah. and uh, just to, you know, like as a thank you and that was it. And what would you say is the art of hitchhiking? So what recommendations do you have for people that are considering to go hitchhiking? Uh, be friendly. Be friendly? Like as, as, as a tip, uh, yeah, try to, of course, be friendly, be, try to be happy, be smiley. This is the, one of the best tips that I told you. I got inspiration out of this guy called Thomas Slav Berkov, something like this. Who is that? Uh, this one guy that made the TEDx talk. Okay. I told you about the, uh, how to travel the world with almost no money. Uh -huh. right? But he would recommend try to be in a good mindset, try to be happy, try to. So I'm, this is his tip, and I would reinforce to say it. Yeah. Is, and it's true, try to remember that this is your decision. You're the one that's out on the street that you're deciding to, like, not to say the street treat, but you're deciding to be out on the adventure. Yes. To put your thumb up and ask for a ride, right? And you, so have, you need to be happy because it's your decision, right? It, it is. So you need to be conscious of this, you, of everything you're doing, because if you're in a bad mindset and you don't get picked up in half an hour, that's just going to take you to the shit, you know? Yeah. But if you're in a good mindset and you're starting a great trip, I waited like once for like eight hours, you know? And, and it's anyway. a good lesson for life, right? That you, if you keep smiling, mm -hmm. other people feel attracted to you. Yeah. And eventually somebody, somebody will extend out an arm. This is one of the other examples, like one of the hitchhikes I did, I did Baja Mil, I told you, right? Mm -hmm. So I did a thousand ten kilometers down and yes. a thousand ten kilometers up. And on the way up, uh, I did down 29 hours without no sleeping, right? Going up, I did in less time, I did in 22 hours. And I still waited in one spot for eight hours mm. with, because nobody was picking me up. And at one moment, one trailer driver passed through and uh, he wasn't even putting on gas. He was just, this is one, one only road going up and down this extension of land in Mexico. So somebody needs to pick me up, you know? Somebody. Yes. And um, he passes through and one guy gets off. He's going to the store. And I go to the window and I ask him, hey, like, no, I, I say, hey, give me a ride, please. Like, I've been waiting like for a long time. And uh, like, would you give me a ride, right? In a nice way. And he's like, sorry, I don't take hitchhikers. And trailer drivers, they get into fines or they get into trouble if they pick up people. And he said, and I already have one person. That guy went to buy cookies. And I told him, and I did the begging hands now. He said, please, I've been waiting for eight hours. Hmm. Like, um, I'm not a bad person. I'm just traveling. I have some money. Like, I can even pay you a little. But uh, this is just uh, to, I need to keep on going, you know? Yeah. And he did like, shh, okay. And I got on, and for me, out of that whole trip, that was the best part. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, the ride back with this guy, because if you want to say for another tip to add, yeah. and remember to either share a story or to listen. Share a story or to listen, and what works, what works best? Listen more, more. Most of the time, we got to learn to listen first. Because people like to share. So is it true that people like to share stories with you when you hitchhike? Yes, for sure. A lot of these people, this would be the purpose. This would be like, I feel like the people that several times picked me up on hitchhikes were sometimes guys or girls or people that sometimes they just wanted to have somebody, you know, to share a conversation with. Yeah. So what do you feel um, is kind of the meaning of hitchhiking? Because there's something in it for the hitchhiking. There's some, something in it for the one that picks up. But what do you few is the broader meaning of hitchhiking and culture. Well, we've, we've been, like, I don't want to go too deep, but we've been nomads, like, so long, right? 
-hmm. we keep on traveling and we keep on relying on humanity to like whichever country city color you're you are or religion you're yeah. from you can like we'll accept you and we'll allow you in right there there the world is getting to a crazy point now where i understand if it might be more difficult in the coming up years but uh, we have to still like stop our car and trust into that person that maybe needs a little bit of help you know yeah so it's about so basically you say that as humanity we've always been traveling and connecting and collaborating yes yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you have more tips so one is be friendly be happy be smiley two share stories or listen mm -hmm. do you have another recommendation with the art of hitchhiking um try to look clean and decent like i told you i, I love that i was telling you that previously and i really love that that moment because i feel like it shows you your limits you know and i've mm -hmm. loved that uh, uh, everything i've gone through I've, I've been able to learn what i'm through traveling because my experience my experience traveling maybe it's not the same for you you know yeah. or for this other person mm -hmm. we have different countries different cultures but uh, how I said at one moment, like, I'm looking too dirty. So I started putting on, like, just a nicer shirt. Yes. Like, try to clean my shoes. And I literally started, like, shaving my beard in the middle of the road when mm -hmm. I was hitchhiking one time because I wasn't getting picked up, you know? So for me, this is hilarious because, like, I felt like I was looking like a crazy guy doing that in the middle of the road. Other people were, like, kind of looking at me. And I didn't want to be, like, that hippie hobo guy. No, I had money and everything. I just... Uh, I remember that maybe like I wanted to look clean, I want to look good, decent, just, and then I got picked up shortly after that. And this is something that people will appreciate on you, you know, if they see a good smile. Yes. They see you like a like calm person or not, not like somebody that would harm them and they trust in you, they will let you in. Yeah, so smiling, look clean and decent. These are great recommendations. Do you have more recommendations or <laughs> is these three? I guess overall, right, and the attitude. The attitude. Because without the attitude to like, without that 200% attitude of like enjoying, sharing, and like uh, exchanging, right? Then you will not be able to pick up a ride. Nobody yeah. will like pick you up. That's great. So I really like these recommendations for the art of hitchhiking. And you're an entrepreneur. So what things that you learn during your hitchhiking life are you now applying as an entrepreneur? Um, I guess uh, in general, like uh, what I was telling you before, how people are noble out on the on the streets, and how we can really we can rely on this still. Like I like I'm, I really feel like sometimes I'm really romantic on some thoughts on on humanity, mm -hmm. but I really want to trust on like the the nobility of humanity to like still like open up, you know. So still, as an entrepreneur, you know, trying to connect with other people, trying to connect with other projects. And I've learned that if you don't say what you do, mm -hmm. if you don't share, people won't know. You yeah. know? So I've been always happy to, maybe I'm not a professional video maker, you know, mm -hmm. but whenever I've met people that like making videos, I like doing this because maybe in the future I want to have my own movie, you know, like yeah. produce, edit, just for fun. So if I don't tell you, that I like editing videos or that we can do something for fun mm -hmm. and you will never know, you know? So you have to share what you do, right? Yes. So trusting on nobility, collaborating and sharing what you do. Because your, your company is called Cultura Distinta mm -hmm. and it's located in San Cristobal de las Casas in South Mexico. Mm -hmm. Can you share a bit about your vision and what you do? For sure. Uh, I would say that it works as a, uh, how can I say this, social service really. And it's a, 
and not like anybody is uh, telling me to do this, but I've had the opportunity to travel around, I've had the opportunity to learn about digital marketing, and uh, even though I haven't gone to university for this, I see that a lot of people have the lack for this here. Okay. So for, for digital uh, marketing, you mean, and for travel? Yes. Yeah. Here and uh, so I've really been uh, happy to like help out, you know. And so I've had so many people that started out with it started, for example, with a flyer. People didn't know how to promote their services, and if you just make a nice enough flyer that you can promote yourself. And what services do you promote to whom? Can you explain like the core of your business? For sure. And give examples? Yeah. So what I run is a cultural agenda of all the events going on in San Cristobal from Monday to Sunday, from the morning to the nighttime, right? So I've uh, traveling around, I've always liked this idea as the perfect week, mm -hmm. I call it. And uh, for me, that meant like maybe having every day a set of activities that, you know, maybe you could, you can reach out to, you mm -hmm. can go to if you're interested, right? Weekly. Classes, workshops, salsa dancing, yoga, theater, poetry, cabaret, queer cabaret show, you know, like uh, um, just all these type of different things, right? So here, this is what I did. Uh, I was noticing that we have uh, so much, so many cultural centers, so much, uh, shared, so much art that we're sharing with people here, right? And they have the need to, the proper way to share it, right? So I... Uh, scheduled out, I made out this agenda to help everybody in town promote in the best way. So whenever people ask me, where's Cultura Distinta? Well, it's not one place. It's kind of several places, all the places in San Cristo. Mm -hmm. What type of activities do you promote? Can you give a few examples? For sure. Uh, we do like, for, for example, yoga. We have all different types of yoga, like Shakti, Kundalini, Vinyasa, right? Um, also workshops for carved wood prints, for chocolate making, uh, food classes, well, cooking classes, right? Textiles, uh, what else? Different tour options, for example. Uh, a big uh, spectrum that we have is one part where parking is a local community, so we can have local activities for the people to do, even mm -hmm. for kids, where it's like parkour for kids, capoeira, you know, mm -hmm. or like uh, tai chi or qigong, these type of things. And then uh, also for foreigners and for people traveling through or even for national tourism, different tour options, right, where there are uh, non-traditional tours, for example, like rock climbing, snorkeling in a nearby cenote, jungle, uh, adventure into the jungle where you take a couple days tour into the meeting, some of the local Lacandona communities, right? So it's uh, sharing a little bit of everything. I've really, yeah, it's a big focus, sorry. Um. So it's a broad range of activities and you really help local people that have less knowledge of digital marketing kind of to promote their services. So you're kind of an aggregator of experiences. And what type of tourists do you serve mostly? Like what nationalities, where do they come from? Uh, I get from, uh, I get varied really. I've had uh, my spectrums of people that love me, you know. But here in San Cristobal we get from all around. I've had uh, particularly uh, a lot of uh, Israeli tourists book me for private tours. This has been interesting. Israel. Yeah, okay. I've had the opportunity to live uh, uh, with is an Israeli community in an amazing place here called uh, Casa Yigil. And uh, I got to learn how to speak some Hebrew there. Okay. So this has allowed me to come closer. This is really nice. And I've, learned, I've loved the opportunity to learn more languages, right? So I do that, a little bit of German. He's speaking in English, right? Okay. <laughs> and so I've had, uh, yeah, a lot of German, Dutch, French, uh, American, and national tourism, just... Uh, so Mexicans, 
yeah. Americans, Israel, Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And what role does spirituality play for Cultura Distinta and for your tourists? Well, um, for me, uh, spirituality would be something that uh, is a really big realm in San Cristobal. Okay. I think that's something that is managing itself, really. I try to help out and promote the, the events or the workshops that I know will have some value, mm -hmm. but uh, I feel like we're all uh, figuring it out. Right? Okay. So I wouldn't like to put like a perspective on that. My, my focus more on Cultura Distinta will be, I guess, all the learning activities, all the workshops, all the like things uh, we can uh, focus on the learning realm, right? Yeah. And uh, on the spiritual realm, uh, I feel like San Cristobal has a nucleus that is always evolving. Mm -hmm. So I've had the chance to help organize some events, bring closer some activities for some people, and uh, just really happy to always share them and promote them on my groups, on my social media. Yeah. yeah, that's the other part of Cultura Distinta, I guess. It's not only working as a promoter for all these activities, but as a, let's say, sharing distribution line on the WhatsApp groups, on the Instagram, where you can find everyday, daily events, what to do in San Cristobal. Yeah. And what role does spirituality play in your own life? In my own life, very good. Um, very good question, thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really of a personal, uh, I guess, transformation side, where I got to grow up going to a Catholic school. Okay. So it was a school run by nuns, and uh, they were the several times the teachers. There were some other like normal teachers, and uh, I got to grow up with that. And uh, I guess I pulled away from it for a big side of life. Mm -hmm. I would say more the side of religion. Yes. And spirituality together, because I didn't like it for what I saw in school. But did you don't? What didn't you like about it in your Catholic school? I guess some of these people would pose out to be like sent by God or like uh, giving their life to God to, mm -hmm. to help out other people or to yes. contribute, to share. And some of these uh, women, I'm sorry, I'm not going to speak for all of them or like all of religion, I don't want to sound bad, but what didn't have the best calling to work with children. Okay. Let's call it that way. Yes. You know? Didn't have the best calling to work with other people even. You know? And um, so you said for, so you went to a Catholic school run by nuns, for a while you turned your back to religion and spirituality, but what, what role does it play now in your life? It grew a lot, uh, it's a huge part, where now, because of everything that I do, I'm a city tour guide here, or like cultural promoter, just to be more proper here mm -hmm. in town. And uh, I share out of all the history of Mexico, the history of Chiapas, and part of the history is religion and okay. spirituality. So I've had a part where I pulled away from it when I was younger, <laughs> and then as growing up, I started studying symbology, architecture, as symmetries, for example. I had the opportunity to work as a, a modernist architecture guide. Mm -hmm in Barcelona. In Barcelona. Where I would do, you know, the Antonio Galvi tour where you would go visit Sagrada Familia? Yes. I was the one giving. You can look up on my Instagram. I have the explanation of the facade of the passion. And uh, I love it. I love symbology. I love symmetries, the meaning behind it. And studying this brought me back to spirituality. Uh, so at what age did you become more interested in this? Um, I guess this was already still like some years back. It was like some four or five years ago, like some 2021. 2021, yeah. yeah. And symbology, can you tell a bit more about it? Because I don't know much about it. For sure, yes, yes. 
So uh, there's a lot of symbology from Mexican symbology, Barcelona symbology, for Mexican symbology. I guess I told you some things on the tour, right? But mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we could share on the podcast, that's the biggest thing, is for example, the meaning of the, of the cross, right? Yes. The meaning for the cross, at least for the Mayan people, when the, this is a, to tell you a little like, story, right? Let's mm -hmm. put it in there. So um, at one moment, Spanish people come along and... Uh, when did the Spanish people come? And 1500s. Okay. And uh, when they started coming along in the 1500s, right? The first moments they're coming along, they they're coming with some huge stands that have some crosses mm -hmm. on the top, right? This is their their symbol that they're coming with, right? Their logo, let's say. Hmm. When uh, Mayan people, at least from Mayan communities, see them, they relate to them, because for Mayan people, when you they bury their dead, they put a cross on top of like other communities in the world. For Mayan people, the meaning of the cross on the cemetery, on the tomb, will be it's of a tree. And they will put this like type of cross with branches coming out of it, mm. representing a tree growing out of that burial. Mm. Ages back to more relevant spiritual people in the community, they would be buried within trees, mm. within huge old caoba or ceiba trees, right? Okay. So this is something that going back to a spiritual side, you know, this is like going back to the earth. So on a symbology side, it's beautiful to see how normally throughout life you would ask Mother Tonantzin, mm -hmm. Pachamama, this is Mother Earth, Pachamama, yeah. Yeah, Pachamama, for help throughout life, for guidance, for fertility, for water, for food, you know. Mm -hmm. And when you die, you are incorporated back into the mountain. Yeah. Because when you see ancient community burials, they will normally be on top of mountains. So you will be buried where you asked for the favor with. You get it? So you will help the next generations. It's yeah. like your power. This is like recycling, right? So this is beautiful. And and that's very beautiful. And is it true that uh, in, in the Mayan culture also ancestors played a bigger role? Uh, yes, this is yes. Because sometimes I feel in Europe we don't think a lot about like previous generations, but in the story you tell, is that like multi generations? Is that a big theme? Yes, for sure. They would be like guides to follow, right? Yeah. They would be there, like they would be the one teaching them always what's coming. And so we, I guess, we have a big side where conservator is a bad word, right? We've post posted with a bad, like uh, look towards it. But uh, conservative people before, at least, that were the elder people that would teach us what we would do, they, they had a reason why, right? So they were always yeah. the elder, the smart ones, for a reason. We would follow them. So is it in some crystal ball, in, in let's say, your Mexican culture, is there a lot of respect for elder people? Normally, yes. Yes, 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 yes. yes. This is something that you see a lot. Um, normally, this is something that uh, we you see somebody older not only crossing the street, but you want to give them your proper respect. Mm -hmm. You will write to them. We have a proper way of saying like "tú," "you step." That's this for more prof uh, professionally talking to, or to people you have a respect to. Yeah, we'll refer in this way. So "usted" for older people, right? Exactly. People that you respect. That's interesting because in the English language, you. It's just one way to say it, yeah. but then in Spanish it's it's two and uh, and usted. That's super cool. And your time in Barcelona, can you tell a bit more about it? Like, why did you go there? What did it bring you? Could we take a two minutes? Yeah. So yeah, about Barcelona. How was your experience? Uh, in Barcelona, it was uh, it was an amazing experience for sure. A lot of learning, 
like I feel like I got a degree in uh, partying <laughs> <laughs> because you know like I had uh, so I was living in San Cristobal and uh, I spent I was working as a free walking tour guide over here and uh, for sure I was going out a lot and partying and having a great time you know and uh, we'll get to psychedelics and I was for sure trying several things here in San Cristobal and then I went out to to Spain and my idea was just to go to Europe just travel somewhere uh, check it out establish for a while and I've always liked more like going somewhere and uh, going deeper like we said the other day going deeper into a place than going several places you know how long did you stay in Barcelona I did one year actually. one year and you were a tour guide there yes so it was really crazy because uh, my family told me hey try to find a job like a library or uh, <laughs> you know like as, uh, they, want, they, they recommended a serious job yeah something nice like a coffee place or something like calm you know and i told them i got a job yeah what is it i'm gonna be pop crawl guide so i was uh i was doing uh, three bars one nightclub mm -hmm. uh, six nights a week almost for a year almost every almost every night for a so year. it was like a master's degree in partying yes so I started with this and I also agreed with this because uh, this was one of the uh, nice options that I got for a job. And then they also had the opportunity for the walking tours, for free walking tours in the morning. So I just waited up until an opportunity opened up. I stayed for like three months in the bar tour, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went into the history tour, to the Gothic neighborhood. So living in Barcelona, I was doing in the morning at 10.30 I would do Gothic neighborhood history tour and uh, like architecture Gothic tour, right, through the center. Can you share a bit more about Gothic, like what does sure. it mean again? Sure, so the, the Gothic style of architecture is one style that comes up uh, in the 12th uh, century and at this moment we have uh, in Barcelona three main uh, Gothic style cathedrals that are built, huge cathedrals and with the Gothic style means that they have a lot of gargoyles, they have witches, they have mm -hmm. a lot of symbols on it. So I would explain and uh, remark a lot on the symbology and the architecture on it. And um, were you already interested in architecture or you learned about it because you knew it could sell for the business or for the tourists? Um, for both, it's, it's an attractive point. So from my part, uh, I really liked, and uh, I told you this before, but I wanted a be the, I want to become the Mexican style Indiana Jones. Oh wow, so, so that's Mex why, Mexican style Indiana yeah. Jones. So that's why I'll tell you later about the jungle tour, or what, what I'm doing, because I'm really happy about that, because I'm, I'm fulfilling my dream, you know? Yes. But uh, <clears throat> I really liked uh, history. I wanted to be an archeologist, or maybe I wanted to be an architect at one moment in my life. And I never did any of these, but I ended up working as a history and architecture tour guide. Mm -hmm. So for sure I loved what I did. And having worked several years in sales, uh, I worked a couple years in telemarketing, mm -hmm. I did that 95 job that nobody likes. <laughs> I, I really like sales and I'm really good at it. So I just learned how to sell the history, the architecture, just share it, you know, in the best way. Yeah. And the Mexican style Indiana Jones, like, what's your plan with nature, with jungle? What's your vision for that? For that, so. Um, Talking a, a little bit on Cultura Distinta, the project is sharing, I guess, as many projects and they have value as possible. Mm -hmm. And once going into this natural area, for example, uh, we have a project right now where we want to help promote more the Tonina ruins. Okay. Because 
Mexico does not get the proper digit like it does not have a right publicist. Somebody's fucking up there. I'm sorry, Mexico. Okay. I'm gonna talk to my people. We're gonna get our shit together. <laughs> but uh, really, when you see it, it's we have Tonina. That's three hours away from San Cristobal. Here mm -hmm. is the biggest pyramid in all of Mexico, and it's uh, bigger than Chichen Itza. It's pretty small. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. Teotihuacan in Mexico City is quite huge, and this one's bigger than that one. Mm -hmm. It's only excavated 20%, so there's still 80% underneath. Imagine okay. that. And people don't know about it. They don't go visit it. So I have a project right now where I'm uh, coming closer with this community that needs a little bit more help on promoting them. We're going to do a whole production uh, blog video that you're going to be seeing later on Cultura Distinta YouTube channel, if you want to see it later, yeah. in a couple months. And uh, the idea is going to be to help them promote for my idea on the jungle of nature is I want to go out to all these places. Why are you so passionate about these ruins and, and, and why do you feel the narrative needs to be rewritten? Well, I guess we need to give it like uh, that proper promotion and there's people that I would love people to see the ruins how I see them or part of the culture of Mexico, of our history, and try to bring it back, right? Yeah. And uh, once we give more power to this, instead of to newer technologies, right, we'll be able to bring closer as a community. We can go visit them and uh, support these communities that sometimes are not getting helped out as much. So I guess I'm not focusing, for example, on Chichen Itza, because everybody knows one of the seven wonders in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. and. Uh, I'm focusing on these communities because these are communities that could really benefit out of this help. And um, you're passionate about Mexican history. You also told me a story about the Zapatistas. Yes. So can you tell a bit more about the Spanish conquistadores and how it has been for the Mexicans and when they became independent? Because I really think that's interesting also for Europeans to learn more about, right? For sure. And uh, just to phrase out, I always like to share this information with a broad mentality. Uh, there's. Uh, we gotta share remembering that nobody's nobody was there and nobody has fault of anything, you know? Okay, yeah. But, uh, for example, at one moment when, uh, when conquistadors were like, uh, start coming over, right? Uh, we, we have them first come over to Cuba, then to Mexico. They make some alliances with the Mexico City, the Aztec people, let's say, at this moment. And uh, to focus on the south, on Chiapas, where we're mm -hmm. at right now, I'm going to tell you a really nice story because I feel like this this should be a Netflix movie. Okay. Like if somebody can look it up, this would be a really amazing movie, a real-life documentary movie. I'm very curious. Tell me more. Yeah. So the guy that founded San Cristobal was called Diego de Mazariegos. He founded San Cristobal in 1528. So what happens is uh, he, he says, I want to be a conquistador. I want to travel out. I want to, like, I want to, like, take over some land, you know, mm -hmm. send me out, he says to his family. And they really send him out, they're like, sure, whatever, but they don't like him as much, you know, this is really what's said in the story. So they send him out with a troop of like, literally like 300 men, you know, like it sounds like Sparta, but really like something like that, 200, 300 men, you know. And uh, what he does is that uh, Spanish people at this moment had an alliance with the people from Mexico City, the mm -hmm. Aztec people, that had control over other smaller groups, knew other communities around, you know? Mm -hmm. So what he started doing is when they were taking over groups and joining them into their alliance or into their control, right? He started getting to Chiapas 
and uh, on all the states on the way, he started picking up indigenous men mm -hmm. of different communities. So imagine he didn't have only Aztecs, Zapotecs, Tlaxcaltecas, different tribes. Imagine different colors, different sizes. So he joined these into his army because okay. he had only 200 men. He needed to make a big enough army to get to here, the Canyon of Sumidero, mm. because there was the Chapanecas. And these were impossible to pass through. Whenever Spanish were trying to pass through here, they were getting massacred. They were dying, like buried underneath stones, rocks, you know, stakes in this canyon, right? The yes. Chapanecas knew their way so much around that uh, they were getting massacred. So Diego de Masario comes along with his few, let's say, consider 200 men. And imagine a thousand other men from different indigenous communities, side by side, shoulder by shoulder, fighting against one common enemy, the Chapanecas. Ah. So mixed tribes against one other tribe that nobody liked. So they were kind of, the leader was able to unite all these different tribes? Yes. And, and, and who won? Uh, the Spanish. The Spanish won? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. The story is always written by the victors, right? By the winners. And, how, and how is it for Mexicans nowadays? What's their view on Spanish people? Um, uh, I personally, I mean, everybody's got a different opinion. I, we don't mind really. I guess we don't really uh, care. I do, as a history sharer, history teller, I do like to share with no, not charging them with any conscience, but share how uh, we do have beautiful churches that were built by Spanish conquistadors, you know, mm. on top of Mayan and Aztec mm. temples. So how it's it's nice to share with them like what uh, what's part of history what happened without throwing any blame to them you know yeah. because it's not their fault anything happened it's not my fault you know we're all product of this you don't want to blame anymore because it's too much in the past yeah, yeah. so I always like to make that focus more and share really more on like what's our mentality we don't mind for sure maybe there's some old conservative people that maybe think a little bit like oh Spanish people you know but overall. Um, doesn't matter where you're from in Mexico, you will see we're pretty funny. Because when did this region become independent from Spain? Mm. Well, it really always just changed powers. But you mean uh, Mexico or Chiapas? Uh, Chiapas, this region. This region. In the 1800s, we were having one moment actually that uh, it came up in power. And this is why we were having all the starts previous to Right? When we were having the Zapatista movement come up. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the 1800s is where we have Emiliano Zapata, right? Like he starts the ECLN. This represents the Ejército Zapatista de Liberación Nacional. Mm -hmm. This is the Zapatista National Army of Liberation, right? Okay. Let's say. And he starts this army like to get the best type of uh, rights and values to the people from the communities of Iran. So, because we were still living under this colonialist, really, type of a marginalized life, this is why we had this revolution come up. We had several battles, and in this years, we had this come up here in Chiapas, where this has given the power here, the power, well, this, I'm sorry, this has given the people here the power to stand their ground and to say how much they're worth and to not be devalued just because they speak a dialect, you know? But actually be valued more because they have some ancient, ancient knowledge, you know, that we could learn from. 
I can imagine. So, what's the name again of this guy that led the movement, the ACLN? Uh, Emiliano Zapata. Okay, so he's the, the local hero. Yeah, he's a local ancient hero with a beautiful mustache. <laughs> and you, you talked about ancient wisdom or ancient knowledge. I hear this word ancient often in Central America. Mm -hmm. But what, what does it actually mean, ancient knowledge? Well, I guess it could be depending on different natural things, but I would see it already like on, on medicine, on nature, right? What we could learn out of maybe what we were calling our previous witches, right? Or like healers. Mm -hmm. And now, and uh, they were really that. Then we started calling them uh, maybe spiritual people, right? Just this was our previous style of pharmacy. Like, so medicine, nature, healers, spiritual people. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate a bit on medicine in terms of ancient knowledge? For sure. So there's uh, parts that we, I say we need to remark on this part and we need to keep on like staying on this ancient knowledge because there's some parts that are be forgotten. But I go out to this community that I'm telling you about, that's called Naha. Naha. It's in the jungle, right? This is closer to the border of Guatemala. This is one community of 150 people, it's tiny. And, but they know several plants, how they use, how they're used medicinally, but others, be, they start forgetting of them, you know? So this is why we need to reinforce this knowledge within ourselves, within our community, within our young people, to, sure, there's hospitals, but when you go to Chiapas and you go to a market, you go to a herb shop, that's the pharmacy. Hmm. You remember on the, on the tour where we passed through and I told you the, the spiritual yeah. shop, right? That's because that was a previous style pharmacy for people. That was where people could, hey, you know what? My pancreas is hurting really, right? I'm, I'm hurting here. And they would give you two different uh, uh, herbs to make a tea infusion with. Maybe they would give you a candle or an incense for you to burn and a, and a prayer for you to do. And this would heal you, you know? And um, have you been using ancient medicine as well? I mean, you talked about psychedelics earlier. Mm -hmm. Is that the same or is that different? Um, I guess that's one ancient knowledge that we used to use a lot more okay. that is getting taken away from us but uh, it's um, somewhere we're finding these different ancestral plants uh, we've spoken about like uh, for example there's here in Mexico peyote mm -hmm. there's uh, ayahuasca right and I don't know if you knew this on polarity side but peyote is from the north of Mexico from this part right okay. ayahuasca is from the south and it's like the grandmother and the grandfather plant, they call them. And okay, so which one is the grandfather and which one is the grandmother? The grandfather peyote, the grandmother ayahuasca. And they're each in the polarities, they're each in one side of the world, right? And so we have to remember also that uh, it, it's nice to have these experiences, mm -hmm. but who used to have these experiences? Peyote, you go out to Real de Catorce, to the desert. In the middle of the desert, you do a bonfire and then you look for peyotes. The first peyote you see, you don't eat it. This is a rule. This is for respect. Okay. It's also an endangered species, so you don't want to eat all of them. You know? yeah. And then second peyote you see, you can consume. That's fine. But this is part of the trip, and the idea would be that we would take our strongest warriors, right? Don't you think? Like we would. So if you would give something that would make you more powerful, wouldn't you give it to somebody that's a good prepared psychological person instead of somebody that's scared. Ah, so you give it to strong warriors. Exactly. So that means that not everyone can take it. Exactly. And and that's why maybe certain people that, I don't want to say weak minds, but maybe that have, that are scared or that have things inside of them bottled that they need to work through, 
they will have a more strong experience or intense experience because they will see their inner demons, you know? This will come out a lot with these type of uh, substances. And what's the purpose of like using these ancestral plants like peyote and ayahuasca within Mexican culture or for yourself? Mm. Well, I guess different communities have had different purposes, but most of them, when we see them, have been reconnecting, I feel. Like, uh, it's always brought us back to a reconnecting point of life because whenever you've gone through, uh, now there's available acid therapy, mm -hmm. mushroom therapy. People have had easier ways to connect with life, to deal with their problems, to lower depression, to lower anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Where this has really benefited their lives, right? So... It's, uh, it's not only for taking that away, and now it's, it's, to put it in this way, it's not a magical fix because you can't expect to just consume it and then it's going to fix everything magically for you. But it for sure is like a foot in, on the door into the right step, you know, into the right way. So it's about reconnecting to life, lowering depression and anxiety. So is it mainly used for these purposes or, or can it also be useful for people that don't struggle with depression or anxiety? For sure, it can be used for other people that without uh, that don't have to struggle with depression or anxiety. Uh, the interesting part now is that we've advanced to a point where seeing how for focusing on one, for example, mushrooms, uh, this on a psychedelic uh, point can be good for learning on a microdosing level, right? Mm -hmm. So we've learned that having a one take dose of maybe three point two grams can be an amazing experience and it will for sure keep you chill and really cool for the next six months to a year you know mm -hmm. but uh, also on another side where you don't have to go through this like uh, um, one day trip but you can actually do it on a, a micro dose level per day responsible respectful to your body per day dose that will help you out and how have you applied these types of of plants and acids and mushrooms in your own life? Like what have you tried and why? What has been the effect for you? So uh, for me, for myself, I have had wilds that uh, like everybody we've been, uh, now the last couple of years we've been going through a world pa pandemic. Mm -hmm. It still doesn't seem like it's uh, done sometimes. <laughs> and uh, we've been going through, I've been going through a lot of depression or anxiety in some moments and I wanted to work through it. And I've started searching for some therapy. I did start going through that. And I did also uh, search into uh, mushrooms, right? And mm -hmm. I started working with mushrooms as microdosing, exactly mm -hmm. on this way I'm telling you. My first experience uh, was I had a couple of experiences with big doses that were, I can say, life-changing, you know? That I would definitely recommend anybody that's going to start with this mm -hmm. to do first, first take with a high dosage. And... Uh, then work up to, or well, work down actually to microdosing if you want to in the future, not like you need to. But when I did the microdosing, what I'm going to is I was, uh, COVID had just started. I was living in Tijuana. I was mm -hmm. doing home office mm -hmm. uh, from my house in uh, the north of Mexico in Tijuana. And uh, I started doing this uh, in the mornings before working, I would have uh, some breakfast, well, a little bit afterwards, but I would really do it without having any food at the beginning. And uh, I would just consume the mushrooms like I did, five days continuous. And I can tell you even on a results level, mm -hmm. how 
I, I was working with a company that my job was answering emails, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a goal to answer 60 emails per day, let's say. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was doing these 60 emails and uh, let's say I was doing some days 50, some days 70, some days 80, because you could just, what matters is you just even out at the end of the week, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever. This is my initial numbers. When I started doing the microdosing, because this was something that I was doing, like it was some emails and repair technical orders. I was doing everything like just on the computer so fast. I changed my numbers from 60 up to 90, 120, 150, really fast. Where the next week I was, so there's also research on this where code, people that do code or programmers yes. use microdoses on mushrooms so it, or on acid. So to it also increases your effectiveness. Yes. It increases your effectiveness. Wow. Yes. So it can have therapeutic effects, but it can also increase your effectiveness. And I'm curious because um, I stayed in a spiritual community in Costa Rica last year and I tried peyote and ayahuasca too. And it has been phenomenal for me, like the therapeutic effects, because you, you see sides of yourself that you're not aware of. And, mm -hmm. you, and you bring that into, you bring the unconscious to the conscious, right? And you can heal from certain things. Uh, but what's the difference? Like, why is peyote called the grandfather? Why is ayahuasca called the grandmother? Uh, I guess that's uh, just on one part of communities uh, I've studied on this. It's uh, both of these plants uh, have their origin sites and then they travel out, like most ancient medicines we've had in the world, right? Mm -hmm. We have something originating in one space, and then people start traveling in. For example, they would travel into the Amazons to consume this, right? And now we've had this experience advanced so much that we have these type of ceremonies, ayahuasca available in Mexico, and peyote mm -hmm. available in South America, you know, in Colombia, Brazil, mm -hmm. Ecuador, different parts like that, Peru. So it's, I guess, on what they show you. So um, I'm not going to lie saying I have, I've consumed them, but uh, for everybody else and everything that I've studied on also is um, they each bring out a different side of you. Mm -hmm. So ayahuasca will, I guess, in one way bring out uh, your demons and peyote will show you yourself. Mm. So this is something where if you don't come with an inner peace, you could be really disturbed by this trip, right? Yeah. So ayahuasca brings you your demons and peyote shows you yourself. Yes. But what's the difference between demons and, and showing yourself? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So uh, I guess for the demons, it could show you. I've had so many uh, people related to experiences where they're shown what they're doing wrong or they're having people just make fun of them or mm -hmm. laugh at them or like, mm -hmm. you know, something where whatever has been maybe their worst attribute, mm -hmm. they've had it shown to them, exploded out, you know, and just uh, made even grotesque so that they will push away from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's one part showing you your demons. And another one, yourself. I've had people that have shared on Peyote, for example, more inner journeys, right? More inner experiences or things to not others, but uh, themselves, how they relate. And so it's all these experiences we have to remember that are personal experiences, right? Yeah. And that everybody's got a different uh, trip and experience. On those, I couldn't uh, explain out so much, but uh, I did, uh, what I did try out myself, I had uh, one DMT 
ceremony in uh, Guatemala. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to know more about it, but what I realized with ayahuasca, for instance, one thing, one demon it showed me that sometimes when I feel I want to say no to something, mm -hmm. it could be business or it could be romantic, sometimes I, I let the person hanging because I don't want to disappoint people, mm -hmm. but then it becomes more trouble. So sometimes you just need to say a clear no to avoid more trouble later. So during one ceremony, Mother Ayahuasca showed me the people and the situations where I already knew it was a no, but I wasn't clearly stating it. Mm -hmm. That was a big learning for me. So now going forward in life, whenever I feel a no, I want to communicate it clearly to also respect someone else, right? Yes. And, and it's, I guess it's been honest to you and your time, no? Also, so you, you're original, you're not. Because just like you said, otherwise it's just going to take you more work later. It take you more work, right? Yeah. yeah. And can you give one specific example for you, like what you learned out of these ceremonies and what you changed in your own behavior? Um, I guess uh, my way to relate with life. I guess uh, uh, after at least uh, some of these psychedelic experiences, even since the first ones, I feel like I have, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but I, I haven't been able to see life the same way ever, ever before, ever later, you know? So it's something that uh, I feel like I started being more conscious about several other things. I started letting go of certain other things also, you know? What did, what did you let go of? Uh, grudges, resentment, you know, bad, all these type of bad feelings, like whatever, like... Uh, so we all have our character, but uh, maybe it's something that maybe would have pissed me off or would have like... And can, you, and can you give one example of resentment, like specifically? Um, maybe something uh, throughout work, right, that uh, and a musician that I coordinated for an event fell through or didn't go through or like some publicity was going wrong. Or, and that's still lowercase things, but it's uh, just a bigger... And perspective on nothing's that important, you know, to get angry. Nothing's that important to get that resentment yeah. about it. So there's certain small things that you can keep resenting, but then with ayahuasca you see a bit the bigger picture and you can, can kind of move beyond it, right? Yeah. I had the same with my... I founded a travel company in 2013 and at some point I was a bit on my way out. Uh, I communicated already with some other people, but the last step that I had to take, I think everyone around me accepted it, but the last step I had to take is to really get out. So Ayahuasca was showing me, now it's time, you know, you want it, you communicate it, just let it go, mm -hmm. also in your mind. Because yeah. sometimes with your mind you can keep sticking to something in the past, right? Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's really interesting. And because I feel while traveling through Central America, I get more connected to psychedelics because I meet people that are interested, that are traveling, that are maybe into spirituality. But there's also a larger part of society, maybe in the political field or in the more academic, scientific, psychological field that, that are skeptical about it. So what's your view on whether psychedelics is, is, is accepted here in Mexico or are people skeptical or is it not, not like a big deal? Uh, I feel like it's a really powerful uh, substance. Uh, what I shared with you on before, for example, for when I was microdosing, I was going to mention on something. I was able to work so good on the next coming up, for example, emails or bump up my effectivity. Mm -hmm. But that was because whatever I was doing in repetition was really sticking to me, you know? So these are substances 
that we're reconfiguring our brain with, you know, because there's a lot of different things out there. So there's mushroom acid, and you can have ecstasy, and this is still reconfiguring your brain, your sensations. Your we're a CPU, you know. So if we abuse of this, this can be bad. Mm -hmm. So my perspective, you're asking, is we should always have a responsible, respectful approach to it. Yes. It's uh, it's uh, not it's not uh, the drug that's the fault for it or the responsible, but it's the consumer and the situation. Yeah. So because it's not the same to have some ketamine and then uh, go out partying for five days on ketamine, you know, <laughs> that's not good. Then having one dose for a couple of hours where it leads you as your stress, where people even use it for, for example, PTSD, you know, yep. post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. for when people come back from war, this has helped them continue with their life. You know? mm. This it's about responsible, respectable approach. Yes. So never to, I feel like uh, whatever you decide, never be pushed into this, never be forced. Of course, we already know it, but never be peer pressured or by friends or anything like this. But I feel also that these substances present to you at the moment you need them. So yeah. whenever you're going to, that's, you're ready for mushrooms, they will come up. Then I either you're, yeah, you're open enough or you have time and then you share and then you meet people that have gone through the same process, right? Yeah. Yeah, with this podcast, Soul Kitchen, it's also about like people's inner journey and mental health. And, and often in life, you need to have a setback before you realize that you want to change something, right? Mm -hmm. Are you worried about something? No, I was just gonna check something oh. for a second. So, yeah, um, we discussed many things already from entrepreneurship to hitchhiking to psychedelics to Mexican history. What do you feel in your own personal growth journey as a human and as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. or human or entrepreneur? Like what's the next step in your own development that you feel you're going to take? Um, well, I think just growing to extending to more people. Mm -hmm. I've seen little by little how it was for sure hard work for several months like it was really intense work for several months at the beginning where i wouldn't get as much recognition mm -hmm. but uh i feel like now people are starting to recognize uh, the type of job that i'm doing the because my job i really post it out that way it's i'm a cultural promoter in san cristobal de las casas yep. i help promote culturally all the spaces in san cristobal that have value so I'm really happy to see that uh, for a future, it's going to grow to more, it's going to grow to be a big, bigger community, that people are going to use it as a reference to sharing music, to sharing spaces, to sharing activities, you know, to where I want to grow my collective to have a set of volunteers that we can organize events that are for the people of the communities of around where they can learn from all these travelers coming through. Because I don't know if you've noticed on the spectrum here in San Cristobal, but there's so many foreigners and some, of course, the local community, but uh, I want to make them still come, we're already coming closer, but even so much that, uh, you know, it will, will be easier for foreigners to come into learning Sotzil or Sertal, the dialect of here, you know. That's amazing, you want to grow and, and, and extend to more people, and, and what do you feel you need to develop in yourself to reach that, because I feel as an entrepreneur, there's, you, sometimes you hit like a ceiling or a barrier, and then you hit you need to go through that barrier to yeah. reach the next level. So what's it inside you uh, 
that you want to change or develop to get to this next level? I guess, uh, I, I guess just still hard work. It's uh, I'm already working with several people, but uh, maybe to change a little bit more to to have on that mindset to just uh, a more of a social work, you know, to do it for everybody on a cause where it's sharing, where it's helping out, where it's uh, teaching also, because I have so many people that would like to teach, no, that would like to learn different abilities. And a community so bottled and so bubbled, like San Cristóbal de las Casas, to, I guess, just bring that closer, you know? So if I can embark to somewhere where I can do more of these activities, where it's going to be, for example, teaching the communities around how to treat dogs. I'm working with a project where we're making a whole um, costume. We made already a whole costume out of a street dog that's mm -hmm. famous here that I'm going to put on to make a promotional video to teach the kids how to treat dogs here, you know? So I guess just share more locally. That's amazing. So I really want to develop this mindset of social work, teaching and involving the community in your business. And that's how you can reach more people. You're a very inspiring entrepreneur. I'm really curious to see how you will develop your, your business in the future. Uh, what book or film do you recommend to people that has positively influenced your life? Ooh, book or film. Um, well, for book, uh, you right now came in with some Paulo Coelho. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about the Four Agreements? Ah, uh, yes, from yes. Ruiz, right? Yes. What did you learn from it? Why did you do you recommend it? Uh, well, I guess all four points are really nice, and it's like a like a movie. I don't want to tell you the ending. You need to read it yourself. Okay. You know? But uh, some of these points are really nice and, and clear. Some of this mentality, when you read it, it used to be like also ancient mentality thinking, mm -hmm. where it was just uh, more calm, taken away from anger or fear. You know, where this helps you out. So one point that I like to say always is be impeccable with your words. You know? Yes. That's one of the main four agreements that I guess in my life I've learned a lot is uh, it's not what you say, it's how you say it and we, you have to share yourself in the best way. Yeah. One of the other agreements I like is don't take anything personal, which is still challenging for me. I'm a Leo and Leo can be hurt easily, Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the one that I'm trying to apply. Um, what I'm also curious about is, uh, before we end, um, is there any topic uh, that we didn't talk about? Like, is there any question that I should have asked or that you still want to want to bring to the podcast? Um, um, not that I think about right now. Huh. I don't think we covered a lot of it. Okay. Another topic I want to ask, because I'm often interested in how childhood shapes a person and like how it influences who you become to be. So can you share a bit more about your childhood and how it has influenced you? Um, yeah. Uh, for sure. It's, uh, I was born in Puerto Vallarta and then grew up in Guadalajara as I was younger. Right. I told you I had the opportunity to live in the U.S. when I was younger, so, so I lived, let's say, age 6 to 10 in the U.S., mm -hmm. picked up some English, and then I came back, my, my whole family came back to Guadalajara, right? 
and then I lived there for the next eight years. Mm. Now, it was uh, there that I guess I grew up with my main Mexican heart. So I'm really happy and thankful to say that I had the perspective, the opportunity to learn the language, to live in the U.S., to see the community, and then to grow up in Mexico. Because I really like our values. I really like how we represent. I'm not talking shit about anybody. I yeah. even love my family in the U.S., you know? But more in a way where I love that I got to see these different communities mm -hmm. because this is something that I felt like my whole life, like a nomad person, you know? Yeah. Like my father and mother were always moving around so much that this really got me accustomed to meeting so many people, opening up, you know, getting to a new city. And it's always difficult, but starting up again. Yeah, so, so being a nomad, having a nomad childhood has brought you a lot. Yeah, and yeah, for sure, uh, a lot of different experiences. Did it also have negative impact on you? Oh, for sure. Because of not having so much of a settled life, Maybe for sure you feel sometimes a little bit more lonely, you know? It's uh, fulfilled in other sides, but it's got pros for cons. So I have sites now where, I mean, I started traveling at uh, 20. So 26, I've been just for six years. It's not really the longest time. But for my age, I've hitchhiked almost 5,000 kilometers. I'm a certified advanced uh, diving uh, like I can dive, you know, mm -hmm. diver. Nobody else in my family has that, you know? Uh, I told you before, by accident, maybe I've almost died a couple times. Mm -hmm. Like for sure, I've seen the tops of several mountains. So at this moment in my life, I don't have a career. Like my sister could, like she could uh, say of, or like other family could say, but I'm happy I can say I've really experienced, I've really lived, you know? That's beautiful. So you say the positive side of living nomadic is fulfillment, a variety of experiences, but the challenge is sometimes a feeling of loneliness. Yeah. I recognize that I also live nomadic and it gives me a lot of joy and fulfillment, but sometimes it feels lonely because you move around all the time yeah, with different people, so sometimes there's no no grounding. But then you realize you need to find the grounding in yourself, right? Yes. That's at the end the yeah, cliche, yeah. but it's it's true. You need to find a home uh, inside. Yes, no, it sounds really poetic, but it's true. I mean, if you don't, uh, if you're not good yourself, it's not gonna be, if you're not comfortable with being by yourself, you can't enjoy the company of others, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really true. So for next episodes of the podcast, The Soul Kitchen, like which person that you know do you find inspiring and would you like to invite for this podcast or would you like to listen to and why? Um, it can be somebody anywhere or somebody here in Sebastopol? Whatever you wish. wish. Um, hmm. I think if we get the opportunity and we can and uh, we could translate, or even if you could do one segment in Spanish, uh, I would love to present you to a guy that's called Decadence, one of the graffiti artists. Decadence, okay. Yeah. This guy is has a whole project that's against Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. how it's destroying the health of the people in Chiapas and sucking up the water in mm -hmm. Mexico, and uh, how he has a whole graffiti project against uh, just showing what he what Coca Cola has really been doing, you know. So it, this is not good for a community, and we need to open up our eyes to this. So if you want to get a little bit more of the inside life, mm -hmm. Mexico, what we're going through, he'd be able to give you a good rebel insight. Oh wow! Thank you very much for that recommendation. That's that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the podcast. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Maybe the last question: like, is there anything that you want to share with the listeners? Uh, well. For sure, just 
to remember for an, an entrepreneur or like uh, just traveling side, we gotta open up. You gotta be willing to take that jump and have an experience, either if it's for traveling or for being an entrepreneur. It's uh, sometimes people see us, see you, see me, they ask us, how do you travel so much? And uh, it's not to sound cocky that sitting on the beach is also nice, but it is also difficult. And it took us doing that leap, doing that leap of leaving that nine to five job and believing in ourselves, where it's been difficult for several months to have your own company, but when you believe in yourself and when you put passion to it, then you can accomplish it, right? So just maybe having a little bit more energy towards their own personal projects. So people need to take a leap of faith yes. for travel and entrepreneurship. Well, Tony Bomboni, thank you very much for your time. It was amazing. And um, I hope that you guys enjoyed it, the listeners, and see you soon on the next podcast.